I'm Alex Green. Welcome to Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. which features my guest today on the program, Daniel Ash. Let me tell you a little bit about Daniel Ash. Born in Northampton, Daniel Ash was one of those guys who was always in bands, and he seemed to always be in bands with his childhood chums, brothers Kevin and David Haskins. One of those early outfits was a band called The Craze. They were a short-lived band that was formed in the late 70s, but never even made it to the 80s. But no need to mourn for the loss of the craze. Everything was going to be all right. After the craze, Ash started a new band, and he convinced his pal from school to be the singer. Why? Well, for the simple reason that he thought that guy had a cool look and would be undeniably dynamic on stage. That guy's name? Peter Murphy. Definitely had the look, was definitely undeniably dynamic, on stage. Daniel Ash's marketing instincts? Well, they were very good. Murphy left his printing factory gig, and David J. also joined the band, setting up a future pattern that guaranteed Daniel Ash would always be surrounded by at least two Haskins family members. You'll see what I mean in a minute. This new band was first named Bauhaus 1919, which was a direct reference to the German Bauhaus art movement of the 20s. That movement combined crafts, fine arts, and industrial modernism. Bauhaus 1919 dropped the 1919 and just became known as Bauhaus, perhaps because the band did not combine crafts, fine arts, and industrial modernism, although when you think about it, they kind of did, metaphorically speaking. But back to our story. Bauhaus came together quickly, and things happened for them quickly as well. Let me explain. In an early recording session, the song In the Flat Field showed up fully formed without any embryonic details. And after only six weeks together, the band already had five songs written. One of those songs was nine minutes long. Too long to be a single, you're probably thinking. Well, you're wrong. That song was Bela Lugosi's Dead, which would, I was going to say, become a future goth classic, but let's be accurate, it's pretty much the goth classic. It's actually the anthem of the entire goth movement. Bela Lugosi's Dead ended up being the key that turned all the locks for Daniel Ash and his Merry Men. The song was on the British indie charts for about two years. 
It received critical airplay on BBC Radio 1. And John Peel? Well, John Peel was all over it. He invited the band in to record a Peel session in 1980. And from there, there was no turning back. From 1979 to 1983, Bauhaus put out four perfect albums before they called it a day. Although they were just together for about five years, and they played a very specific blend of dark post-punk, they became one of the most influential bands of all time. Guns N' Roses, Soundgarden, Ariel Pink, John Frusciante, MGMT, Massive Attack, Elliott Smith, and AFI have all cited Bauhaus as a huge influence on their music. Just how far-reaching was Bauhaus's influence? Well, if you look at a video for Chicago's You're the Inspiration, which came out in 1984, lead singer Peter Cetera is wearing a shirt. The name of the band on his shirt? Bauhaus. I could have faked you out there and said, The Cure, but I didn't. Because it wasn't. Now, Daniel Ash had a little side project going with Glenn Campling. It was called Tones on Tail. After the demise of Bauhaus, he recruited Kevin Haskins, and this is the only time that he violated the multi-Haskins musical rule. At any rate, he got Kevin Haskins aboard, and uh, Tones on Tail became a full-time thing. They put a couple EPs out, a couple of singles, and one fantastic album called Pop. They did a little tour, and that was it. Tones on Tail was a short-lived project that not a lot of people got a chance to see live. But don't worry, there's a happy ending to that story. But before we get to that, let's get to Love and Rockets. In 1985, Daniel Ash, going back to the multiple Haskins attack, he recruited Kevin Haskins and David Jay, and they formed Love and Rockets. The name of the band was taken from a comic book of the same name. Over the course of their career, Love and Rockets went on to become one of the biggest alternative rock bands of all time. They put out seven albums. All of them are fantastic. But if you were the kind of person who demanded that I choose a favorite, that wouldn't be very nice of you. But I would certainly oblige, and I would say to you, my all-time favorite Love and Rockets album is 1986's Express. It's also the very first Love and Rockets album that I ever heard. Maybe I'm just a sentimental guy, but you know what? It's got to be something more than that. Because 32 years after it was released, Express remains one of my favorite albums by anybody. It's that good. Now, both Love and Rockets and Bauhaus did reunite several times. And uh, there were Lollapalooza performances. There were Coachella performances. Love and Rockets never did another album. Their last one was 1998's Lift. Bauhaus, on the other hand, did reunite and put one more album in their discography. It's a pretty great album, too. It's called Go Away White, and it came out in 2008. Now, it's more than fair to say that Bauhaus and Love and Rockets are two of the most influential bands of all time. But it would be unfair not to mention Daniel Ash as one of the most influential guitar players of all time. Everyone from Dave Navarro of Jane's Addiction to John Frusciante have said that the way that Daniel Ash plays guitar was a presiding influence over their own approach to the instrument. The Telecaster playing Ash has said that he's not really a huge fan of guitar solos, and I'm not surprised to hear him say that. He's a subtle and textured player. He's a craftsman who has muscle and finesse, elegance and brawn, and his playing stands out as part of the composition rather than a flag that flies above it. As a solo performer, Ash has a handful of solo albums that you should check out. And if you go to danielashmusic.com, you can buy his brand new single, Alien Love. Now, 
Our story doesn't stop there because Daniel Ash has been busy. But before I get to just how busy he's been, let me tell you this. Years ago, they asked Daniel Ash if he would ever reform Love and Rockets. And he said, you know, we've worked together since 1980. I really want to work with new people. I guess what he meant by new people was new Haskinses. <laughs> because Daniel Ash formed a band called Poptone with Kevin Haskins and not with David J. So who's the other Haskins in the band? Well, it's Kevin's daughter, Diva. And Poptone is fantastic. You might recognize the name is a hybrid of the name of the Tones on Tail album, Pop. As for Tone, well, I think you can figure that out for yourself. Now, Pop Tone are a band that play songs from the catalog of Love and Rockets, Bauhaus, and Tones on Tail. They have a brand new album, and it's 13 songs that you think you know because you do know, but they're played in a totally different way. The songs are taken in a fresh, new direction. They're darker, they're more propulsive, and each number grinds away with a battered majesty and a gorgeous menace. It is, in my opinion, one of the best albums of the year. Now, before we get to Daniel Ash, let me tell you a couple more things, and then I promise I'll shut up. When I got into Love and Rockets, I was 16 years old, and I was a DJ at my high school radio station. We were a metal station. So if you were listening in 1986 to KVHS and you heard the Smiths tucked in between Megadeth and Motorhead, well, that was me. Now, we got sent albums all the time by labels, and the label that sent us the most albums was a label called Big Time Records. They had a weird habit of putting out all my favorite albums. Listen to their roster. They had the Dream Syndicate. They had the Jazz Butcher Conspiracy. They had Love Tractor, Hoodoo Gurus, Huxton Creepers. Who am I missing? Oh, and they had Love and Rockets. They sent me Express, and nothing was the same. That album was transformative. I loved it instantly. But here's the funny thing. I would play Love and Rockets between Megadeth and Motorhead. And normally when I did that kind of thing, I'd get menacing phone calls. Hey, we're going to come down there, kid, and kill you if you play The Cure again. Actually, it sounded more like this. Hey, bro, if you play Aztec Camera again, we're going to come down there and murder you. <laughs> That's how they sounded, metal fans. They were husky, and they were threatening minors. But here's the funny thing. I played Love and Rockets in between Armored Saint and uh, Wasp. And guess what? No phone calls. No one said anything. I snuck them in, and no one noticed. They blended in perfectly. Why? Well... I can't say exactly. Something about the, uh, the feral prowl of the music appealed to metalheads. I don't know. Listen, Love and Rockets and Bauhaus, they're bands that everyone from Glenn Danzig to Peter Cetera love. They are cross-genre appealing, and that's a pretty cool thing. One more story, then on with the show. In 1989, my friend at RCA Records set me up with a backstage pass. This is when Love and Rockets was playing the Greek Theater in Berkeley. He said, go back, say hello, the guys are great. By this time, I was a college radio DJ, and uh, their record was number one on my show. And I was very excited about it. And the guy from RCA said, tell them that, they'll really appreciate it. Well, I couldn't do that. I couldn't even enjoy the show because I was walking around worried about what was going to happen when I introduced myself to Love and Rockets. So I did what anybody would do in that situation— I sold my backstage pass to a hot goth girl. I was hoping that 
she would just give me her phone number, but instead she gave me 50 bucks. I don't know what happened after that. I walked away with 50 bucks and years of regret. But here's some revenge on my old stupid self. I finally got a chance to talk to Daniel Ash. I've spoken to Kevin Haskins before on this podcast, and he was great. And Daniel Ash was equally lovely. We talked about motorcycles. That's pretty much all we talked about, and it was pretty cool. Daniel Ash loves motorcycles. And if you want to know how much he loves motorcycles, go to his website, danielashmusic.com. You know, when you go to a band's website, they have bio, frequently asked questions, music, merch, tour, whatever. Well, Daniel Ash has a heading up there that says motorcycles. The guy loves them. And we talk about them at length. Daniel Ash was by far one of the coolest guys I've ever spoken to. And I feel like an idiot for selling my backstage pass because I was too nervous to meet these guys. But you know what? There's a happy end to that story because guess what? I married that goth girl. Nah, I didn't. I didn't do that. I just took the 50 bucks and went quietly into the night like an idiot. All right, without further ado, because I think I've pushed the limits of ado. I think I've pushed ado as far as it can go. My friends, this is my conversation with Daniel Ash, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. All right, good. <laughs> I just got off the. I literally two seconds ago just got off the last call. You're going to ask me a bunch of questions that the other person hasn't asked me. That well, okay. And so then if you ask me the same questions, I'll say I've already answered. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was thinking last night. I don't want to. I don't want to ask any question you've been asked ever. All right. That well, that's what I'm expecting. So let's go. And okay. If, if, as I said, if it's been asked. Then I'll tell you I've already answered that five minutes ago. <laughs> now we can move on to the next question. This is a high-pressure speed round. It is. <laughs> well, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. At 11, after rehearsing yesterday at 11.30 at night, I finally got into a motel in L.A., parked up, went to pay for the room, walked back to the bike to start it up again to put it in the parking space outside the room I was at, and it wouldn't start. It's just gone dumb, nothing. So I had to get up at 5.30 this morning, get AAA, get the bike on the trailer, travel 100 miles to where I live, unload the bike at my mechanic's place, come back home, eat an avocado and a slice of toast, and then I had to do these interviews. It's been, and then I got to go back, jump on another bike, go 100 miles down the road back to LA and start rehearsing. Good. So that's how nutty my last 24 hours has been. Well, I'm absolutely I'm, crazy. I'm surprised because I, I thought that you were the kind of guy who would actually fix those bikes yourself. Well, I do. That's probably why it broke down. <laughs> uh, no, this is the irony. This is the real funny thing. It's a bloody Honda, and it broke down. And I ride Triumphs and Harley. I go and buy this Honda, and it broke down. How ironic is that? They're not supposed to break down. I thought, I'm going to take the most reliable bike I've got so I make sure I get to rehearsal on time with no problems. 
and the thing broke down on me at 11.30 last night in the dark. First, the headlights went out on the highway, managed to get off the highway, get to where I'm going at the motel, and then it won't start. So I had to get it trailered at 5.30, 6 o'clock this morning. It's crazy. And then when I've, speak, when I've finished, finished speaking to you, I've got to jump on another bike and go to another 80, 100 miles back to the rehearsal room. Well, the other guys are just sitting there drinking coffee. <laughs> They're so genteel. Waiting for me. <laughs> but after having gone through that, you sound surprisingly cheerful. Well, the day's just started. I'm, I'm sort of delirious as what's going on. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I thought, right, everything's going to go smooth. I'm going down to LA on this Honda. I'm not going to break down. It can't. It's a Honda. And then it goes and breaks down at the 11.30 at night. So, yeah, up at 5.30, getting on the back of a AAA wagon. So this Traveling another 100 miles back here. <laughs> this is the difference it's, between you and I. Like, I drive, you drive motorcycles, I drive a Honda Fit. I knew you were going to say you drove a Honda something. A Civic? Uh, a Fit. Did you say it? It's a, a, it's a the, the Fit, that sort of little uh, bug one. I don't know it, but I, is it like a Prius type thing or is it like a smart car? No, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it's small. It's like, it's like the, the smallest one that they make, but it's so reliable, yeah. you know? Um, know you're, we're opposites because I, I drive a Jag. So, <laughs> <laughs> my, car, my car's a Jag and then I've got these big old Harleys and stuff and then you've got this Honda. Yeah, we're, we're opposites. How did you know I was going to say that I drove a Honda something? Uh, because you said that you're the opposite to me and you've got something super reliable and sensible. <laughs> and I knew it was either going to be a Toyota Civic or a Honda something or other. I knew it. You're like Kevin. Kevin's Mr. Sensible on that front as well. No interest. He just wants something super reliable that's going to get him where he's going to go. And that's it. And I'm all about the bling. Well... I actually made – Kevin and I had a very sensible chat, and um, so that won't surprise you. <laughs> yeah. He was probably sipping on a cup of tea and making a list as you guys were talking. That's <laughs> Kevin. He, like, he likes his lists. And I said, I said, Kevin, how many lists have you got today? He says, oh, I've got a pretty big – I've got a couple of large lists. I said, yeah, okay. Nothing really changes. I haven't got any lists. I'm going to wing it, and you're going to bring along your list, and we'll get on fine. <laughs> Well, yeah, we're opposites as well. So we couldn't get more opposite than me and Kevin. It's so funny. It's like Laurel and Hardy, basically. It's funny. The setup we have, I call it. I call it the uh, Partridge family now, because it's all friends and family all the way along the line. We on the tour, we're going to do the support band, which is called Automatic. Kevin's other daughter, um, Lola, is playing drums in the support band. So it's really turning me into the Partridge family, 21st century style now. The whole family's on the road with us. I'm surrounded by them. Yeah, you are. There's no escape. But that's actually pretty cool. No. No, it's great. I, I'm, I'm having fun with it. It's hilarious. I mean, I'm the outsider because I'm, I'm, you know, that, I'm not their blood. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, Kevin and his two daughters. And, uh, you know, friends and family, you know, fa other family members come along as well. They're always at the gigs. It's hilarious. I'm in the Partridge family. Yeah. No way out. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I made Kevin laugh. Is that an achievement? He seems like a serious guy. Uh, yeah, take, 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 it takes a couple of jokes, and then you're getting chortling. And if you think about it, I'm making you laugh. So, you know, what goes around comes around. That's right. That's very, that's very true. <laughs> Did he get you laughing? No. 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 
He yeah. didn't. He didn't. He, he, <laughs> but he did say, he said, I, I have to go in a couple minutes, but let's keep chatting. So we, we kept going. So we had a good conversation. Yeah. You know? Um, right. But I uh, I want to tell you, I've listen, this won't surprise you. I've never been on a motorcycle before. I'm 47 years old. Daniel, what's wrong with me? Well, it's, it's because you drive a Honda. It's okay. It's just one of those things. I don't think it's going to happen. If you're driving a Honda, you're not really going to be inclined to ride a motorcycle down the road at like 100 miles an hour or whatever are you i mean it's not in your blood maybe maybe you i don't know do you like climbing mountains or taking the dog for a walk i mean everybody has has their thing you know it's just it is what it is you know i got it from my dad because he was a scooter freak you know back in the 50s uh he had a lambretta and he would take my mum and my older brother all around europe on a little lambretta 125 so then, and then my older brother was a full-on mod in the '60s. He was a, he was a Lambretta, you know, scooter Lambretta guy as well. But I, I always thought they were hair dryers, and I wanted something with more power. So my older brother's best friend was a rocker, and he had a 650 BSA Thunderbolt. So as soon as I got back on on the back of that, when I was like 14, 15, that was it, completely sold. And the first time also I saw a Harley Davidson engine, I had to have one as soon as possible so i actually got one when i was 23 which in england was really quite young to be able to get a harley so that was great and you know i've been riding since i was about 12 i used to steal my dad's scooter and go around the streets on it and just it's it's as i was saying it's in your blood to ride you know two wheels or not you know whether it's a whether it's a moped anything from that to a full-on harley you know you're either into it or you're not. But there's a, a level of fearlessness. You have to sort of, you can't be hesitant and, and drive a motorcycle. No, but if it's in your nature to ride when it all comes natural, it's like riding a push bike, except that it's got an engine. It's the same principle. It's the same deal. But uh, I know I know people that wouldn't even get, I, I read this story that Bridget Bardot, it used to make her nervous and sick just to look at a Harley Davidson. She was super scared of them to that degree. And I remember if you look online, you can see this great video that she does where she's standing next to this Harley in a like a little black number with these boots on and stuff. And she's holding onto the handlebar and singing this song. And um, and she was saying in an interview about doing that video that just standing next to the thing really scared her without even starting the engine or being on the back. Wow. You should check that video out. Just put Bridget Bardo stroke harley davidson video and you'll see this thing from the 60s it's brilliant well Great i know camp. i mean i'm yeah i bet I, i'm sure she looks super hot in front of a motorcycle oh, that yeah. right oh yeah yeah it's great yeah brilliant. <laughs> it's really really good are you it's great are you a thrill-seeking kind of guy have you always needed an adrenaline rush of some kind yeah <laughs> in a word yes it, it's all about bikes yeah the bike thing for me it's my yoga it's my transcendental meditation you know it's the only time when i can truly relax is when i'm you know doing sort of 70 plus on the bike it's it's a motorcycle thing i mean people that ride will explain what it is it you have to it it's a lazy man's zen you have to concentrate otherwise you're going to get into trouble and there's a thing once you get out of the city and you're on an open road you go to this place like no other and it's wonderful you're at one with the machine and everything feels great everything's in its place that's how it works for me that because i ride bikes but other people can do it 
walking the dog, climbing up a mountain, I don't know, cooking something. It's all different for different people. But, you know, for me, I have to be doing at least 70 miles an hour. That's how I because I'm neurotic and uh, I've definitely got that, what is it, a, that attention deficit disorder thing. I've definitely got that big time. Well, I would. That's what they call it. Yeah, the ADHD thing. But if you're if you're in LA, you must be thirsty for an open road. I mean, it takes a little while to well, get. I to... Don't, I, no, I don't live in LA. I live a hundred miles away from LA. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I have done have done since two thousand. I moved away from there in two thousand. So the the open yeah. road is is right out your door. That's good. What about oh, like yeah. you know if you if you go on stage, do you get the same rush that you get being on a bike or no? Well, it's uh, yeah, it, that again is adrenaline rush. It's a different rush, but it's definitely up there as in its potency. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's another thing. Yeah, well, like, I just like getting nervous backstage. I don't like to be calm. I like to be all neurotic and really nervous because I found out the odd gig where I've been re- laid back, the gigs are boring. So I like to be uptight before I go on, not relaxed. I mean, you get on the stage and that probably disappears, right? Once you're on. Yeah, once you're on, is if you start, yeah, then then this other thing takes over, and you're, for me, I'm on another planet. It's something, it's a place that has got nothing to do with reality, and it's wonderful. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I for a living, I teach college, and I, I was telling my students that I'm more comfortable talking in front of them than I am probably in my real life, just, just doing things, going to the supermarket, talk, whatever. Um, and I wonder for you, being on a motorcycle, being on stage, those must be places where you're more relaxed than maybe in your regular life. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem going to the supermarket. That's okay. But when I'm in my element, it's doing a gig or riding the bike. The bike thing is just, it's a freedom thing. That Freedom plus power, uh, great combination for me. That's my personal thing. I love powerful bikes and getting out of the city, going into the middle of nowhere. Some something that I do is when I do get into the middle of the no of nowhere, which is usually a desert area, what I like to do is just stop the bike and turn the engine off and listen to the sound of nothing. And it's very good for the soul. Very good for your head. No telephones, no TV, no people, no traffic, no nothing. The desert or the mountain top, whatever. Turn the engine off and listen to even when there's no birds, no nothing at all. That sound is you can really clear your mind. I'm, it's a cliche what I'm saying, but it's true. It really does work. It's my way of dealing with you know life, if you like. Are you an introvert by nature? Well, uh, I'm a complete contradiction. Intr- super introvert, super extrovert, uh, both at different times. Weird. Yeah, I really, I really um, love my own company. Don't need other people around at all. But at the same time, I can get on the stage. So go figure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's complete opposite. I contradict myself all the time. Yeah, I'm an introvert and an extrovert, big time, both. Yeah, and, and what about the idea that when you were a kid, did Easy Rider? Because because you know a motorcycle is a very like American. Uh, piece of imagery. Were you affected by movies like Easy Rider and that sort of uh, that American idea of riding along, you know, across the open highway? Absolutely. That film was probably my favorite film for a long time, particularly because it was a Harley Davidson, and aesthetically, I love the look of Harley Davidsons. They're just beautiful. 
Old British bikes have looked fantastic as well, the old Triumphs and Nortons and BSAs. And something I found out only about four years ago is both of those families, Harley and Davidson, both of the families full on were English. They came from English mums and dads oh. right along the line. So that, that makes sense because it's all about that long stroke on a Harley in preference to a Japanese bike, which is a short stroke. The Harleys and the English bikes had this long stroke. So it's all about the torque of the engine. So I just found out about four years ago that the Harley family and the Davidson family were both English. Their parents and grandparents came from the UK. So that makes sense on why Harleys are similar to the old English bikes. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, nor did I till four years ago. But yeah, that's, that's the case. But yeah, that film, there's a, there's a few others. There's one called The Loveless, which is, and it was Willem Dafoe's first film that got him got him on the map as, as such, uh, called The Loveless. That's a great film as well. Oh, and there's a really fun one with Brit, no, not Brit Eglund, with um, uh, yeah, Mick Jagger's, one of his first girlfriends, uh, the singer, actress, Marion Faithful. Okay. Okay. And it's called it's called Girl on a Motorcycle. It's a really camp French film. You've got to check it out. Okay. And Marion Faithful would be in her twenties, and she wears this black leather cat suit. And you've got to watch the film. It's just great. Just a very camp sixties film with Marion Faithful called Girl on a Motorcycle. At the time, it wasn't camp, correct? Uh, don't know. I mean, is there some psychedelic imagery in it? You know, it. just watch it. You'll see. I mean, it was just something she was asked to do. I remember seeing in an interview, she said, I'm so glad that I did that film because I had a great body back then. <laughs> and I'm glad that it was captured on film. And it's a great, it's a lighthearted, you'll, you'll see. I don't know if they were taking it seriously or not at the time. You know, because now it looks, it's very camp to me. I mean, just what she's wearing and everything. I'm sure they were aware of that. They were pushing the sexuality of the whole thing, obviously. That was the selling point. But the big turn on was this super hot chick driving a big, riding a big old Harley Davidson, you know, and just the, the there's a love affair that goes, because it's a French film, obviously, there's a love affair involved and it's all around her, the bike, and this guy that buys the bike for her. And he meets her, he meets, she's a librarian and she, this, um, this Casanova guy meets her while she's at the library and then he ends up buying a bike for her and it goes on from there. It's so- a typical sexy french film yeah I, I love those i i have to ask you if you're watching a movie and there's a, a hot french girl and then there's a motorcycle where do your eyes go first that's a very good question um well because the bike and the girl are right there on right in on the screen it, the eyes go everywhere <laughs> at the same time <laughs> I, it's just one image, you know. One is connected to the other, so you, your eye, you know, being male, your eyes can pretty much just home in on everything you want to home in on, like 0.6 of a second, because well, that's the way we're wired. That's right. We're very visual, aren't we? Us males, very visual. Yes. Creatures. Well, yeah. I mean, look, it, that's not going to work as an explanation if uh, you're with your girlfriend and a hot girl walks by and you look at her and you say, "Look, I'm just a very visual guy. I'm sorry, I'm looking at her." Oh no, no. No, it's no. Something my dad he always used to say to my mum because he, she'd catch him doing that, and he would say to her, "Men, 
will always look. It doesn't mean that you have to buy anything off, take, have anything off the menu, but we'll always look. We're wired that way. That's all he would ever have to say to us because it's the way we're wired. That's right. It's true. Yeah. Uh, as a as an experiment, I pulled up the picture of Bridget Bardot on the motorcycle, and there I can you go. okay, but I can only see Bridget Bardot. I mean, there, there's a motorcycle there, but I I don't even see it. No, no, but hold on. Okay, here's the difference. It's because you're not into bikes. Right. That's all. Right. See, with me, I see the girl straight away, but I also see those ape hangers, and I see those swept up exhausts at the back straight away. I see the engine as well. And, you know, I can't, I don't know, you know, sometimes if I look in a magazine, if it's a motorcycle magazine, to be honest, I look at the bike first. Unless it's, no, I can't say that. It's six to one half a dozen of the other. I can't really <laughs> answer that question. They're one and the same thing. They're both, they're, they both look fantastic. What can I tell you? Yeah, I mean, she's distractingly fantastic in this picture. Well, yeah, yeah, but you don't ride bikes. You wouldn't know if that was a Honda or a Harley, see, so it's not of interest to you. Whereas, obviously, if you're a heterosexual, the girl's going to be of interest to you every time. You know, I can even remember what she's wearing. She's wearing that thing with the miniskirt, right? Yeah, exactly. The leather thing, the miniskirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I can't remember. Are, they, are the boots black or white? I can't remember. They're black. Okay, they're up to the knee. I remember that much. Yeah. And she's got the big blonde hair. Yeah. And uh, she's got some medallion thing. She's wearing some sort of medallion thing, right? Yep. Around the neck. See? Guys, again, we remember this stuff. Yeah. Wait, so just when you when we've finished it, just click on the actual video in, on YouTube and you'll see us singing the song. It's something like me and my Harley Davidson. I need no one else on my Harley Davidson. That's the, uh, the, the uh, translation. I don't need anybody else when I'm on my Harley Davidson. That's the lyric, if I remember right. Make sure you look for Girl on a Motorcycle with Marianne Faithful. You've got to sit down tonight and watch that film. It's it's a classic. And another one is um, The Loveless with Willem Dafoe. Okay. Have you writing this down? I have. I got it all. Yeah. Um, the you... Loveless with Willem Dafoe is the first film that got him on the map. And then the other one is Girl on a Motorcycle, which is... Um, the other one there's the ones then there's Easy Rider and that's pretty much the top oh there's one more Kenneth Anger do you know Kenneth Anger the filmmaker sure okay you must have seen I saw this actually with David J years ago when we were both at art school and they used to play arty farty films after college at night and we both went in and saw this film at the same time it's very sort of homoerotic this one I don't know if it's well it's not accidental because Kenneth Anger's gay but um, the guys in the film actually were straight. They all had girlfriends, but because they were so vain, they didn't want the distraction of Kenneth Anger filming the girlfriends. So the girlfriends were banned from the film so that they could just concentrate on the guys on their bikes. And it's called Scorpio Rising. Write that down as well. Kenneth Anger, Scorpio Rising. And there's no dialogue in it, but he's got this amazing soundtrack from songs from the 50s and 60s, back in the day when you were allowed to use them without spending a fortune. So again, visually, for me, fantastic films, just all these custom bikes with these guys wrenching on the bikes, riding the bikes, and a few other funny funny things going on in between. You'll well, see what I mean. Well, uh, But yeah, Kenny Banger, Scorpio Rising, there's another biker film you should check out. 
Well, this is this is fun homework. If you had said to me, "Oh, I'm influenced by Charles Dickens' Bleak House. I want you to read that tonight," I would have gone, "Ah." <laughs> right. No, I yeah, I'm the sort of guy that when there's a book, I'll look for all the pictures first to get that instant gratification. By the way, uh, Bridget Bardot looks terrified. You're right. Does she? Yeah, she looks. She does not no. look. She doesn't look comfortable. Oh, she's got the eyes. That's right. The eyes are glaring in that shot. Yeah, it's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Well, in the interview, she said that she was scared. It would make her really nervous just to be standing next to a motorcycle. Never mind about getting on it. So she'd never, she's never been on one, you know. But yeah, the video is hilarious. It's brilliant. It's very camp sixties stuff, you know. Uh, the thing that she's singing. Well, I love that sixties music as well. That type of sixties, not the hippie stuff, but that sort of stuff that they used. Also, the soundtrack when you uh, the other song, which is um, "Girl on a Motorcycle," "Man and Faithful." When the when the uh, when the theme music comes in at the beginning of it, when she, it's a picture of a road going down a road fast. There's this real twangy electric guitar, which just is so nostalgic for me from when I was a kid. It's that '60s sound, and I love it. It's almost like the early James Bond music, you know, all that sort of era, that type of music. Mini skirts, white leather boots, and that twangy guitar. I love all that stuff. Yeah, I do too. Then. I do too. It's um, yeah. By the way, Bridget Bardot looks like she'd be more comfortable if she was in front of a panther. Like I mean, she looks. Yeah. She does but not look. Com- you know. Yeah. Yeah. She's not into no. it. <laughs> no. Um, no, but it works. Oh, it, it yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it totally works. Um, you know, a, a motorcycle is such a powerful thing, and it's you know, it's very intimidating, but. I think that you, you know, it represents a kind of inner power. And I think if you approach it with, with a kind of calm, it's not a big deal. I think if you approach it with, you know, with nervousness, that's not a good, it can smell your fear. Well, you couldn't, you couldn't ride a bike if you're nervous about riding a bike. You'd last a couple of moments. It doesn't work that way. You can't, if you're nervous of it. I mean, obviously, I remember when I was a kid, sort of remember first getting on it it was a, a, a real adrenaline rush mixed with nerves but as soon as you start moving even when it's just in first gear you get that thrill or you don't and if it's in your blood and you get that thrill you overcome nerves very quickly because it's a part of you to do that um i've often thought why is it that bikers are bikers and why is it that mountain climbers are mountain climbers and why is it some people can actually be an accountant you know, actually do that for a living and be okay with it because I'd last five minutes. I'd go bonkers. But, you know, people are different and different. Some people like to be really safe. Other people can't stand being safe and they need the adrenaline fix. So, you know, it takes all sorts. But specifically, I was thinking about why are all... Because, you know, I go to events where there's bikes around and we're all a certain breed we have this thing in common. What is it that when you're born, your DNA dictates to you that when you hit like 10, 12 years old or six years old, whatever, you're gonna look at the motorcycle and go, I see it, I see it on the side of the street. I'll start the bike up and some little kid will be with his mum, like a five-year-old staring at me, like that bike, that bike. I know, I can see it in their face. He's gonna be a biker. What is it that, you know, why are, what is it? This, why we like bikes? Why some people climb a mountain, etc.? We're all in these different char- uh, categories of human beings, and you know, I wonder what it is. Whether it's a karmic, whether it's a reincarnation thing, 
you know, and last time around we used to ride horses or something. I don't know, but it's it's intriguing on what makes one person love riding a motorcycle and somebody else that thinks you're absolutely insane to ride a bike. What is that? And on that note, I have to go. You have to go. on my bike and get back to LA because <laughs> they're waiting for me at the studio. Uh-oh. Um, look, I'm going to watch these movies. I'm going to stare at this Bridget Bardot picture uh, for a while. I've just thought, I've got that photo framed in my bathroom. Oh, there you go. I just remembered. There you That's go. That's why I remember what she was wearing because I look at it every day when I'm in the bathroom. There you go. <laughs> just remember that. Let me, let me ask you this. Did I ask any questions anybody else asked? I am so impressed. Not one. You're the first. Thank you so much. You actually... <laughs> spoke to me about stuff I'm really into. I'm, I really appreciate that. It was it's a been pleasure. A lot of fun. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I don't know how it's gonna. I don't know how it's gonna promote whatever you're promoting, but you know, you know, it's out there now. Oh, you got? Did I talk about Alien Love? It's a single I've just done. Yeah, well, you didn't, but here's what I was going to do. Before we did the chat, I was just going to do a big 10-minute intro about all the new stuff that you're doing so you didn't have to worry about it. But you can talk about it. Oh, okay. It's, oh, well, I'm going to give myself a shameless plug here. If you go to danielashmusic.com, you can download it. Two tracks. There's a hidden track as well. Two tracks for $4. Four American dollars, and you've got two brand-new songs. How about that? Hey, that's good, right? Yeah. So if you can give me a plug on that, that'd be great. Then I'll get some money and I can get some new tires for one of my bikes. <laughs> Listen, Daniel, I want you to come back on the program in the future. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Hey, good luck with the bike. Yeah, thanks. Well, I'm taking another one now. This one will get me to where i got to go, I'm hoping. Uh, enjoy, man. Be safe. Yeah, same to you. Thanks, pal. Be safe in that Honda. <laughs>